it, like have what you like during training sessions and the intensity itself will tell you what you can have. So for instance, I can't imagine having rice cake in the middle of a hard interval, but I can imagine having a gel or a sip from a water bottle. Um, so I would probably like, I would probably like, um, 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 base my um, advice on just like whatever you prefer. Um, so if you would probably equate, um, so um, there, there, basically there is no difference uh, in oxidation rates or ability to oxidize carbohydrates. Um, Welcome to my podcast. My name is Daniel and I help you understand nutrition and how to easily apply it in your life, make better eating choices and how to stick with them so you can improve your performance, change your body composition and become your fittest. I have been working with people who are just starting out on their healthy lifestyle journey but also with fitness coaches to help them apply the nutrition science into practice. So, yeah, I really appreciate that you found time with me today to speak about something that we are both interested in and that is like fueling performance for especially endurance athletes, but in, for athletic population in general. And I hope that we uh, can in some way uh, clear that topic for many people when it comes to like fueling during the workout specifically and uh, enhance and improve recovery after the workouts. So can you introduce yourself actually for the people who don't know you from Instagram or from anywhere else? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, thanks for the invitation, first of all. So my name is Tim. Um, I'm originally from Slovenia, but I did my PhD in the UK. I'm currently a pretty busy person. So uh, my main job is uh, being an assistant professor in exercise physiology at the University of Rimorska here in Slovenia. But I'm also a postdoctoral researcher at one of the institutes here um, in the field of environmental physiology and exercise metabolism. Um, and apart from that, um, I also work in the Human Performance Center in Slovenia. This is um, a new startup um, that I have with a few friends of mine, um, where we test assets, um, like physiological um, testing and also like um, sports nutrition, consulting and uh, coaching. So we work from like novice, um, amateur athletes all the way up to the professional athletes. Um, and the fourth thing that I currently work on is also like help, uh, build a new, uh, sports nutrition brand called Endurance, um, which is kind of, um, the aim is to like provide athletes with, the uh, the most like scientific, um, based products. Um, especially like fueling for endurance athletes. So, um, 
during exercise and then recovery. So this is a topic we're actually going to discuss today. So, um, yeah, that's about it. Yeah. That's all the exciting stuff. <laughs> and actually, uh, I had one of the previous episodes with your colleague, uh, which was Tina yeah. also from the human performance center. So I'm happy to have you guys here. And also she was actually the one who recommended me to speak with you on this topic. Cool. So this like perfectly, I mean, it's amazing, especially because you also work in the lab and you uh, see things that might not be seen uh, from outside, right? So you see what's happening inside of the body and you are constantly testing these things. And as I've seen, you are doing muscle biopsies and this is exciting <laughs> stuff. So, uh, just to start with, I think let's bring people into the picture because as you said, there are like different levels of athletes and I also work with athletes who are just maybe starting. They, they are very active, but they don't necessarily need to go to Tour de France. And this is probably not our audience here. Uh, this is for people who really have like, uh, some competition. Uh, aspirations they want to win they want to uh, get better and better but they are not expecting to win the Tour de France or anything similar so what is actually the uh, idea behind fueling yourself during exercise or when uh, one should start thinking about fueling during the exercise because if you are if you go out for, I don't know, like two kilometers run or even 5k run, you know, you probably don't need to consider fueling during that time. So yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. And sometimes we think that like only elite athletes need uh, to fuel during exercise and that like uh, amateur and uh, novice athletes, they don't need to fuel because they don't expand as much energy, um, which is kind of true to a certain degree, but uh, it's kind of interesting um, to from another perspective, which is how much time do we need to actually deplete uh, muscles of glycogen? So um, in the research, we often do muscle glycogen depletion sessions. So these are like high intensity interval sessions. So people are doing intervals for as long as they can. Um, and at the end of those exercise bouts, uh, we sometimes are usually do uh, muscle biopsies so that we make sure that like glycogen is really depleted so that we can quantify it. And one of the funny things is that most of the time, so the average time to do those sessions doesn't really vary between elite athletes and um, like amateur ever athletes. So it always takes around like let's say two hours plus minus half an hour to deplete muscle glycogen content. Uh, the difference uh, between elite and novice athletes is mostly the exercise intensity during those sessions, so the relative intensity. But overall, we can clearly see that like the more trained you are, uh, this means that you expend more energy because you're pushing harder, but for the same effort, you probably need um, to start fueling at the same time. So um, each you have like a training session, a uh, high-end training session. It doesn't really matter if you're an elite 
or um, an amateur, you need to support this training with some more carbohydrates. Then the amount of carbohydrates during the training session and before the training session, this one depends on the type of athlete you are. Yeah, and I really uh, think that you brought a good point here. Uh, one was the training status of the person, how how well trained they are, and the time it takes. So basically for the same time, we have this two hours plus minus half an hour, but uh, the intensity is different or probably the elite athlete uh, can push harder, so basically that would mean covering more distance in that time. Is that right? Yeah, correct. So, for example, like I'm more like um, close to cycling. So, for instance, one can um, be exercising at oh, like 300 watts, and at the same time be using like four grams or even more than four grams of uh, carbohydrates per per hour, whereas somebody that would be doing like I don't know um, half of the wattage. Um, would only be using like half of those four grams or so two grams per hour, um, which means that like the overall energy expenditure and those energy requirements for the for the session would be much lower um, in a less trained acid, but still like carbohydrates during the exercise would be beneficial. Also, like one, another point to add here is uh, that with training, as you get more trained your muscles capacity to store uh, glycogen improves. So if we took biopsies and uh, quantified um, the concentration of glycogen in the muscle of uh, trained athletes or untrained, we would see like a huge difference up to like uh, in trained athletes, it can be like twice the amount of glycogen in the muscles as compared to um, non-trained athletes. So when we take uh, that question, like when should an athlete start thinking about fueling for, for their workouts? Like, let's say you start running or cycling and let's go by time, I guess. Uh, so you start, you normally run or cycle bike for what, let's say for an hour. And then as you are improving, you start doing, uh, to do longer sessions, not necessarily more intense, although intensity is also vari variable here, but let's say moderate intensity. And should you start fueling, like if the exercise takes one hour or after one hour, or when would you suppose that time would be if for the person? To, to get like some beneficial adaptations or to get better workouts? So this is a really, really tough question and a really complex one. So um, I really like to take it this session from a, uh, from a, like to take a look from a, a bigger picture. So step, uh, do a step backwards um, and see um, what the next training session is come uh, is going to be like, what the previous training session was like, what are the goals of the training session. So for instance, if uh, this training session is, let's say, it's one hour long, it's very intense or really, really hard intervals. And then the next session is the next day and it's still pretty intense, then I would probably say, yeah, have some carbohydrates even uh, in this like relatively short session. But if this is like a really low intensity session, um, 
like steady state run or or bike ride, uh, then I would say no, you don't need. Yeah, uh, you wouldn't. Uh, I would. I would probably say just take carbohydrates if you're feeling fatigued. Otherwise, uh, go without because it's kind of known for quite a while that high carbohydrate availability around and during um, training sessions that are of low intensity can have a negative impact on the adaptations from the training session. Um, so you sometimes want kind of um, restrict carbohydrate availability. But then restricting carbohydrate availability means um, a longer recovery time, which you also need to take into account um, because, yeah, um, you still need to be able to execute the subsequent uh, training session. So this is really, really complex. Uh, but uh, as a r- rule of thumb, I would probably say that, like anything that's longer than two hours, carbohydrates are necessary. Um, if the session is shorter than two hours, if it's low intensity, so zone one to zone two, uh, you have carbohydrates um, if you're fatigued or if your next session is of high intensity. But um, on the other hand, yeah, you do, do, do it uh, with, you can do it without carbohydrates. So uh, here is actually my approach to this, and maybe you can uh, comment on that. But so actually, this question came from uh, runners who are just you know like starting. So before they were running less than ten kilometers at a time, now they are uh, starting to extend beyond that ten kilometers. So uh, their time is about one hour. So relatively slow runners, right? And as a rule of thumb, like you mentioned, with runners specifically, I would suggest like after that one hour, you should start thinking about like uh, maybe drinking at least water and uh, start to get some carbs in, like you mentioned. Not a lot of, but you know, some maybe 15 grams of carbohydrates after that one hour period. Yeah, this sounds like a plan. I mean, yeah, I, I kind of I, I always look from the perspective of cyclists because I mostly work with them. But uh, the volume of running is much is usually a bit lower than in cyclists, so this kind of makes sense. And also, like the impact, the stress on the body is higher during running. So this uh, period, this window, like the duration of two hours, can go to one hour. And also, like one of the things that uh, we kind of sometimes forget is the fact that carbohydrates can improve um, the perception of like you reduce the perception of effort and improve performance even when carbohydrates uh, in the form of glycogen uh, are not limited in the body so just feeling that you have some carbohydrates um, improves performance basically oh yeah it, it can definitely um, refresh you in that way so uh that's one thing so so we have well, let's say one hour for runners running session for bicycle or cycling where you don't have as much impact and well actually you are burning also probably less calories than for the same time of running then for the uh, cycling it would extend to about two hours so twice as much when it comes to time yeah 
I, I think this is like a general recommendation. Excellent. Okay, so we have this, and we also mentioned that there is a difference, like in how high intensity that training is. That's obviously like for if you are running intervals, then you might benefit for from having those carbohydrates maybe during the session just to improve performance and maybe feel better. Another one thing that I would consider be beyond the time and uh, intensity, I would say that I see people that they get really hungry after those rides. So having those carbohydrates like really small amount during the activity actually prevents them from having the like overeating afterwards so have you noticed anything like that oh yeah i think this is like a common a really common thing and it happens to me as well um so whenever i try to do a session um like a few hours without carbohydrates um and i see like okay on the bike uh for instance and i say yeah i'm strong i can do it without carbs um but then when i get home i just have like uh, I need it's like uh, a lot of hunger and I just need to eat everything I see. Uh, what basically happens uh, is that during exercise, um, liver glycogen stores get really low. Um, and as a result of that, uh, it might actually feel uh, towards the end of the, such a training session that you're a bit hypoglycemic. So you're almost like hitting the wall. Um, but even if that doesn't occur, your liver glycogen stores are really low. Um, and this is a signal for the body that you need food, you need energy. So you basically are hungry after the exercise and then you just then you just eat shitloads of food on, and everything you see. Um, and yeah, uh, that's not ideal. Yeah, right. So because of this, what I usually see in runners, like how they gain weight where, while they are training for marathon because they don't feel properly during or before the exercise then they get really hungry and they think like oh okay i burned so many calories now i can eat whatever and just listen to my hunger and that leads them down that road of gaining weight that they didn't want yeah, yeah that's a, that's right that's pretty common i think and i, I really did like most people are struggling with this um, because I think, yeah, um, I've burned a lot of food and I haven't eaten anything during the ride. Now I can actually eat. Um, but that's not how it works, basically. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, as you mentioned, you can be also hindering your recovery afterwards. Yeah. So yeah, basically when you, you become, uh, when your liver glycogen stores get depleted during exercise and your blood sugar levels start to decline that's when you start utilizing protein as a source of energy to actually build up the glucose um, and to maintain the blood glucose levels and this is when the, like this uh, damage occurs to the muscles um and yeah um that can be a that, that can lead to problems um and yeah delayed recovery right but you just gave me an idea that oh, there are these low carb promoters who say like I want to get fat adapted and uh, I will just run fat so I will not uh, eat carbohydrates even like during the activity 
and maybe just eat fat, I don't know, MCT oil or I don't know, chia seeds or whatever. But basically keeping it low carb outside of exercise, you know, keeping the steady energy during the exercise. So what is your take on that? Yes, I think this thing of carbohydrate periodization is uh, a big is of big interest to me, um, and I think most people get it wrong um, because it's kind of an idea that you want to like really really push up fat oxidation rates and like limit the carbohydrate availability. Um, and during my PhD, actually, one of the studies I did was focused on that. Um, so. The current understanding of this like low glycogen training and low carbohydrate availability training is is that um, you do a high intensity interval training session after which you don't eat anything that contains contains carbohydrates or very little carbohydrates. So you may mainly focus on your nutrition on protein and perhaps fats, and then you start the next training session. Uh, and at that time, you will probably have your muscle glycogen stores very low. Your liver glycogen stores will be very low. And if we measure fat oxidation rates during such a session, um, fat oxidation rates would obviously be very high because basically there is no carbohydrates uh, to be used. Um, but the problem with those sessions is that they can be really short. Um, if you make them really long or longer than like an hour, they become really hard for people and the recovery time is going to be like tremendously long. Um, and one of the things that kind of I wanted to experiment was what would have happened had athletes uh, received some carbohydrates during such a glycogen depleted ride. So for example, um, you start the ride um, with without a breakfast um, and you have avoided eating carbohydrates after the um, the session the previous uh, day. So um, the next morning you start the exercise session, you go for a run and only after, after like half an hour of an activity you start to ingest carbohydrates. Um, and we found out that you do not suppress fat oxidation rates. Uh, if you introduce carbohydrates with a uh, 30 minute um, delay. So basically you're still using carbo um, a lot of fat, but what you do achieve is you maintain uh, glucose levels in the bloodstream, which probably means that you are uh, doing less damage to your body, um, which can actually be very beneficial, uh, especially uh, if you take into account the recovery process. I, I I actually used to do that strategy like when I started, but I did not even know about like physiology of it. Yeah, it's kind of benefits or whatever. I heard about this strategy actually, to be honest, from Chris Froome's book like years ago, and I was I started thinking, what does this mean in terms of physiology? And then yeah, uh, I was looking for papers on that, and there wasn't much a lot much about that. So yeah, I started looking into that from the scientific. Uh, perspective but i guess uh what you just mentioned it was in athletes that they are, that are like not on a low carb diet overall right this was like only like train low protocol yeah exactly so these were athletes um like normal people 
uh, we had to max, I think around 58 on average. Uh, so like moderately trained, probably doing like eight to 12 hours of training per week at most. And, um, yeah, they were like habitually adapted to a high carbohydrate diet. And one other thing that really was also interesting to me was that, um, we had three different conditions. So on one condition, they got a lot of carbohydrates before this second training session. And on two conditions, they didn't have any carbs. Um, they did the session, they started the session faster. On one occasion, they got carbohydrates during, like with a 30 minute uh, delay. And on the other occasion, they uh, didn't get anything at all until the end. And what was interesting was how big of a difference in fat oxidation rates, just removing, restricting uh, carbohydrate intake made. Uh, so for instance, um, when we do, when you take a look at, um, when you have a look at uh, fat max um, of normal people, you probably see a value of like 0.5.6 grams per minute. So this is the maximum amount of fat people can use um, after an overnight fast. Whereas in this study, those people stripped of muscle and liver glycogen um, were able to, without any difficulties, uh, utilize in excess of one gram per minute of fat, uh, which is like almost as much as low carb adapted athletes. Uh, so just like one night without carbohydrates made such a big difference. Well, that's interesting. I I've never seen that. Yeah. We, I, so basically you can, we were really surprised. Yeah. Sorry. So basically you can be benefit from like, uh, let's say low carb adaptation without really being low carb all the time. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the point of like carbohydrate periodization. Um, these two sessions were really hard. Like, uh, my, I had like troubles in sleeping. Uh, I usually have tr trouble sleeping when, um, my glycogen stores are low, but yeah, uh, as a training st strategy or nutritional strategy, better to say, um, this is a viable and a really good option. Well, what, what is anyway, the a reason to do that kind of sessions? So, um, yeah, that, that's a good one. So, um, I never do such sessions with elite athletes. So for example, I work in societies that can they have all the time, um, they want for training. So they can do like 20 hours a week. They can do 30 hours a week if necessary. Um, but then you have athletes like myself that we cannot have, uh, we don't have the time all the time available. So we can, we are restricted like training, like let's say 10 hours a week. Um, so at certain point, if you want to get better, you need to increase the training volume. Um, and utilizing such an approach, for example, like restricting carbohydrates before a training session can actually maximize the adaptations, um, from a training sessions when you're like limited in time. Uh, so it's more time efficient training. Um, it's not necessarily better. It's just more time efficient training. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah, it, it makes sense. Actually, it's, uh, from my understanding, it's not all only about the training volume. It's actually a matter of, uh, training stress, right? 
So uh, you are creating stress in a different way than physical. Yeah, exactly. So like I like I'm an ex because I'm an exercise physiology. I always like try to look and combine different uh, stimulus uh, stimuli. Uh, for instance, one one of the stimulus uh, stimul one stimulus could be like carbohydrate restriction. The other could be like uh, training in the heat. Uh, and then the third one would be like training at the altitude. Um, so these are like marginal, um, um, potentially potential marginal gains uh, when you are like limited in time. So yeah, that, that's interesting. And I'm glad that you also mentioned uh, training in heat, in heat and at altitude because that's something that is interesting because especially in my sport, OCR, like Spartan race, the championships are usually in high altitudes, but not everyone has access to train and go train at high altitudes. But instead, what we can do is uh, simulate to some extent training in high heat. So is this what you use as well? Uh, yeah, so like... I know that like most people think that like entity training is really beneficial. Um, I think that in certain scenarios it is, but it's not like nothing, nothing is magical about it. Um, and one of the things that I also like experimented the beach, uh, was training in the heat to induce kind of, um, similar adaptations as altitude training. Um, it's a bit of a complex physiology, so I won't go into details, but it looks like that with um, like, um, prolonged heat exposure, so like five weeks of uh, training in the heat, you can actually increase the amount of red blood cells uh, in the body. Um, so this is very similar to what could you, ex you would expect from uh, hypoxic training, basically, or training at altitude. And uh, I think one of the considerations is that can take athletes by surprise is that the differences in fueling at high altitudes or in high heat. As far as I know that the carbohydrate um, requirements go higher or basically that athlete uh, actually burns more carbohydrates proportionally in high altitudes or in high heat compared to colder environments. Uh yeah, it's, it's pretty straightforward to answer in terms of um, the heat because when it's hot, you basically tend to use more carbohydrates at all in densities. That's pretty well do documented. Whereas for the altitude, um, at the same relative intensity, uh, so let's say, um, I don't know, um, at the same heart rate, uh, there would be probably no differences. Uh, in substrate utilization, but because of the altitude, your performer declines, and so does, like for example, your functional threshold power or your critical speed, whatever, however you uh, define the um, training zones. As a result of that, at the same absolute intensity, you use more carbohydrates at the altitude. But this is mainly due to the fact that you're training at the higher. Uh, relative intensity. Uh -huh. Right. So let's go to some questions that I have. 
from actually from people from the audience and that was that uh how would fueling change if we are speaking about um training like strength training usually those take about one hour but uh, you know there are a lot of rests in between sets and compared to endurance training if you are running let's say uh, one and a half hour to two hours or on bike that would be twice the demand so differences fueling intra-workouts fueling during uh, the strength workouts and in endurance workouts so i would probably say that um, for strength based workouts um the fueling is not as uh, important during um, in terms like of carbohydrates because uh, the energy expenditure during the workout is not as high as during endurance workouts. So in that regard, um, I usually don't recommend or don't say, don't advise athletes to have any carbohydrates for your strength uh, training sessions, whereas for uh, endurance training sessions, yeah, that really depends on the, yeah, on the intensity and the duration as we've talked uh, about earlier. Um, but uh, for strength-based training, then it's probably like um, it's really good if here the protein uh, intake is um, sufficient. So that's probably the main goal or the main um, objective you have in mind when designing the nutrition around that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And uh, for anybody who is listening, uh, in the show notes, there will be a link to article about carbohydrate needs like during the workout based on intensity and the length so they can refer to it and um, it brings up actually another question like we are speaking about carbohydrates 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 right so all the time around this uh, although we mentioned a little bit of fat but uh, what would be the relationship maybe of different sources of carbohydrates during the workout or based on the intensity so maybe for like low intensity long rides you might use more complex carbohydrates or maybe even some fat sources uh, to promote that also maybe let's call it metabolic flexibility and for higher intensity probably the sources of carbs would differ so yeah it's a, it's a tough question so uh, first of all let's discuss the fat um i'm never a fan of um, having fats during exercise as I, I see no benefit in that uh because like fat is stored in the body so you just need to like access it um and the body has the mental uh knows how to access the fat um so i would probably recommend to having fat during uh, exercise, then it can all, only like lead to gastrointestinal uh, problems. Whereas when it comes to carbohydrates, um, I don't think that there is a big difference um, in terms of metabolism between complex and um, uh, fast absorbing, let's say carbohydrates. Um, I usually just say like, have what you like during training sessions and the intensity itself will tell you what you can have. So for instance, I can't imagine having rice cake in the middle of a hard interval, but I can imagine having a gel or a sip from a water bottle. 
Um, so I would probably like, I would probably like, um, um, uh, base my, um, advice on just like whatever you prefer. Um, so if you would probably equate, um, so, uh, there is basically, there is no difference, uh, in oxidation rates or ability to oxidize carbohydrates, um, that come from bar, a gel or a drink. If the amount of fat and fiber is the same, so basically it doesn't really matter what you have. Uh, the most important thing is that you have enough, uh, basically. I think the, actually the fat and fiber here are the modulators because yeah. the idea behind that, that you want the more complex carbohydrates, for example, for long endurance session, because long endurance session, uh, that takes, let's say two or three hours, although it is a low intensity, uh, you know, you release that energy slowly and that you don't need like high spike of insulin. So this is pretty much the proposition here. Yeah. I mean, during exercise, you won't see a spike in insulin. So that's, that's something that you should because no one should be concerned about. Um, I don't really see a big difference. Like I try different things in the exercise. It can actually like the only difference would probably be perceptual. So you would feel uh, fuller uh, for longer with a bar as compared to a gen. But in terms of metabolism, I, I wouldn't really expect big differences. Right. And that, that's actually the thing that the exercise is a good modulator of, um, insulin sensitivity or let's say how it is, uh, how carbs are processed in our body. Yeah. Uh, I Okay. Uh, so, so here is another question actually about the intra-workout nutrition and it's about actually uh, a cyclist from your audience and he asks like, uh, uh, he's sweating a lot during the workouts and so he cannot keep up watts or the effort beyond one hour so what can he actually do to improve his performance like uh, during these really sweaty sessions i mean my sweat rate uh my maximum sweat rate is like two over like two hours uh two liters per hour which is probably quite kind of a lot um and i don't think this is like a big limitation. Uh, what he probably needs to think about is whether he fueled um, himself enough before the training session. So uh, not just the meal just before the training session, but like was the breakfast big enough? Was the afternoon, um, um, was uh, the, the amount of carbohydrates he had in the previous afternoon sufficient? Um, and then during the training session, um, he might want like yeah drink plenty um have carbohydrates in the bottle rather than in a gel so it just like gets the energy and the hydration um um but um yeah maybe some eat some salty foods um in the morning if he's training in the afternoon which will help him to um um accumulate or store more water in the body uh for the for the tr for the upcoming training session but yeah um and he also like perhaps he wants to do some sort of a heat acclimation 
so that he gets adapted to the heat uh, and cope with that uh, feeling of being hot. And just like you say, like with many questions that we are just getting here or, or in general from people, uh, there are like very broad questions and it's hard for us to answer this. We can assume some things, but unless we know like uh, the goal of the person, what they have been doing for a certain period of time, it's not only like just mentioned, it's not only about what is happening during this exercise, but what precedes it. And, uh, yeah, other lifestyle factors, um, maybe like stress. I actually asked him in the comments, like, is it maybe some, um, changes in his food choices that he made? Because it might not be obvious to people, but they start eating healthy. Uh, they start eating maybe like more vegetables or whatever, le less processed food. So they limited the salt intake because the main salt intake we have is in the processed foods. So that is something that can make you sweat more. You have less salt now in your body. So yeah, it's, it's very hard to, uh, answer based on that, like short question. Yeah. Completely agree. Which is unfortunate. And. I think this brings an opportunity for these people who want to get more personal advice and really figure out what it is. Uh, do you have like consultation opportunities for these athletes? Yeah. So yeah, I currently like I'm a pretty busy man as you figure out, but yeah, uh, I'm working together with Tina. I am the dietetic, uh, in our, we have a dietetic in our team. So yeah, on our website, human performance, um, um, the, the human performance center, uh, they can get in touch and ask for advice, um, or on my Instagram pro side, which is, I guess, pretty shameless function. Anyway, it will be in the descriptions below. I will put it down there for people to access it easily, unless you don't want to think. Well, yeah, I try, like, uh, I usually like reply to messages on, I always reply to messages on Instagram. So if there is something that I'm re also interested in then, then yeah, um, I'm all ears and I'm happy to help. Yeah. So, uh, I think there is one last topic that I would like to just dive into and that is like post-exercise recovery. So what would be the considerations to recover the best after a hard training session? So yeah, that, that's, that's a really like tough one. So, um, when we think about the recovery process, we think about a few things. So the, um, first obvious thing is that we want to get better. So we see exercise training session as something that we kind of do some damage to the muscle. So we have to repair the muscle uh, in the recovery process, but not just repair it. We want to build um, new components that are better, uh, more durable, stronger uh, than the ones that uh, were there before. So for that, we need protein. Uh, so a high quality protein source is probably one of the most important part, parts of the recovery period. The next one is also pretty obvious. Um, so during training session, we've used uh, glycogen stores in the body, so in the muscle and in the liver. And from that perspective, we also need to refuel 
refill um, those um, glycogen stores. And this, this is where things start to become interesting because we tend to say, yeah, for that we need carbohydrates, but it, it actually isn't as simple as that. Um, the recent evidence actually points out that you want different types of carbohydrates, which is um, glucose and fructose-based carbohydrates. So glucose-based carbohydrates, those are the most abundant form of carbohydrates. So like rice, pasta, uh, mortodextrin, these are all glucose-based carbohydrates. And those kinds of carbohydrates are really, really good for replenishing muscle glycogen stores. But they do very little about the liver glycogen stores. So um, for liver, uh, we want to add some other types of carbohydrates which is, for example, um, fructose. So fructose, we get some fructose in the fruits um, and um, we can just get well, by fructose uh, and also like table sugar is a really good um, source of fructose as well. So um, I usually recommend that for the recovery, for the optimal recovery, you combine different types of carbohydrates. Um, so ideally you would have um, something that has a table of sugar in it. Uh, for instance, like a chocolate milk is a really good example um, of an optimal recovery drink or like a Coke or a Fanta with um, a protein shake on top of that. That works as well because all the sugary drinks tend to have a fructose component uh, in them as well. Um, so you are crazy talking about table sugar in some health. Yeah, I mean table sugar is not healthy for the teeth, but it's very good for the for replenishing of uh, <laughs> replenishment of the liver glycogen stores. Um, so that's about carbohydrates, and then the third thing, obviously another obvious one is rehydration. So you want to make sure that um, you. Um, replace all the fluids lost during the exercise, but not just fluids, you also have to think about electrolytes. So um, in that regard, probably some um, drinks that have some carbo uh, electrolytes, um, but not just drinks, just like normal food, uh, eating like pasta, eating um, 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 a rice, um, cooking salty water, that could help as well. Um, but like probably the ultimate recovery drink and the one that the most easily, the most easily accessible one is probably chocolate milk. Um, so chocolate milk, uh, is a good source of protein. It's a good source of carbohydrates. Uh, it contains three different types of carbohydrates. So glucose, it contains galactose, which is a, a part of lactose or the, uh, the milk sugar. And also fructose because it's like chocolate, chocolate milk and sugar has been added. So you have all those three types of carbohydrates, which should probably um, effectively replenish both liver and muscle glycogen stores. Um, and then the research has also shown that uh, milk per se is the best hydration drink possible or rehydration drink possible. So you kind of, um, yeah. Um, solve all those issues uh, with a chocolate milk. And usually also contains some salt inside. 
Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, electrolytes are the um, the milk as well. Yeah. So uh, just to wrap it up uh, for general exerciser, I don't think that they should uh, pay like really special attention to like post-workout meals. Uh, maybe in a hot summer months replenishing, especially like water or uh, rehydration, focusing on that. But as you get more and more serious, then you obviously need to start paying more attention to those things and modalities. And uh, what is actually, you mentioned also like proteins, but proteins is something that is usually more spoken about in bodybuilding world or, or like strength training world, but not as much in or endurance world, right? And uh, we, or generally we say that uh, endurance athletes need only about 1.2 grams protein per kilogram, but I have seen also pretty recently some research suggesting that going 1.6, even to 1.8 gram per kilogram of lean body mass is like advantageous. So what's your insight on that? Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, the, the new evidence points out that I can do a serious endurance effort. I should need as much protein or even more as, uh, as compared to um, strength-based efforts. And um, I think Team Sky now, uh, Team Ineos, uh, provided some data from a few years ago uh, showing that their athletes are having like even as much as more than three grams per kilogram of body mass of protein per day, which is a huge amount. And like working with athletes, we I actually struggle to get the index lower than two grams per kilo of body mass, just because you get protein also in like sources um, like pasta. This is not a high quality protein, but it's protein nonetheless. Um, so you probably those recommendations are a bit outdated. Um, and yeah, I currently, I recommend all my athletes to have more than two grams per kilo body mass per day. Yeah, just out of the interest, what would be that two grams of kilogram for you uh, percentage-wise? Like what percentage of, of your total calories? Oh, no idea. Because um, I never calculate okay. that way, but uh, yeah, like uh, taking into account that for from like uh, I usually, uh, when I kind of calculate the macronutrients, uh, the first thing that I set into the system, I have a, a system uh, that calculates the requirements. Um, I feed into the system the amount of protein and an amount of fat. I usually, like um, the amount of fat I usually recommend to assets is around uh, 1.2 grams per kilo body mass for those that are happy with the body mass they have. Uh, for those that are trying to lose uh, mass, um, I recommend like 0.8 perhaps. Um, then protein Y, that would be like two, uh, to 2.5 grams per kilogram body mass per day. And then the rest, which is very variable day to day, uh, like from all the way from six to 12 or even more grams per kilogram body mass of carbohydrates. So, um, yeah, it's still a pretty small amount, basically, uh, considering the amount of carbs they're getting. Yeah, but so the total 
uh, protein content is what is interesting here. I mean, protein can and also help re for replenishment of uh, muscle glycogen. So yeah, uh, if you have more protein, right. uh, that's nothing to worry about. Awesome team. And, and the very last question actually from your colleague from Dina. And I think it is worth mentioning also this is like a topic by itself, but maybe we can just very briefly talk about it. Like how would that fueling for women ch or change for the women compared to men, especially because women have uh, different stages of their cycle. Uh, yeah. So it's kind of uh, really like, it's again, it's a complex question. Um, and one of the first thing that you have to like, um, pay attention to is the energy requirements for the training session. So there are some, um, females out there that are, are a strong, as men. Um, and for those, um, um, I wouldn't see a big difference in terms of amount of carbohydrate they require, but generally, um, for example, if a guy is arriving at 200 watts, uh, when on a flat road, um, a woman, a woman would be only riding at like 120 or 150 watts because she's much lighter. Uh, then also this means like. Um, the energy requirements are lower, so the carbohydrate intake during exercise um, could be like um, could be slightly lower. So I usually recommend for guys, for strong guys, up to 90 grams per hour uh, of carbohydrates during the training session, and for women, I usually recommend up to 45 grams per hour. But that's just a general rule of thumb. Uh, whereas when it comes to menstrual cycle. Um, the most important or the one thing that I would probably, the only thing that I would really, really pay attention to and it's worth mentioning is that in the luteal phase, um, the release uh, of carbohydrates from the liver is limited during exercise. So for fueling high intensity training sessions, even if they are short ones, like let's say you do an interval training session, uh, that is one hour long, it's still worth having some carbohydrates around just because, uh, the liver will for, um, the reasons, um, because of the hormone hormones, uh, will not release the glucose into the bloodstream and that have an impact on the, um, on the performance during the training session. So that's really important, uh, to consider. But then the other thing is that it's highly individual. So because the um, hormone levels vary from woman to woman, uh, it's really, really difficult or almost impossible uh, to give like um, one size fits all um, recommendation. Uh, so it has to be very individual. Um, so in that case, yeah, um, I think it's, um, you have to listen to your body and see what works, what doesn't work, but yeah. Make sure I think like those uh, those pieces of advice that say that you don't need uh, as much carbohydrates in the luteal phase because you're using more fat, and that you might even want to increase fat intake. That's a bit of a uh, nonsense um, because yeah, for fueling high intensity interval training sessions, you need carbohydrates, and if you can't access them from within the body, you need to provide them. Um, exogenously, as we say, 
um, sold from the drink or a bar or something like that. Yeah, I always enjoy our talks with Tina actually on these topics. So uh, we also have that podcast episode, special, especially for females. And yeah, that, that, that's basically for, for it today. And thank you very much for your time, team. No worries. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, links to your accounts, to uh, Human Performance Center and to everything that we talked about today will be down in the description so people can just, you know, sign up for or follow you, maybe follow me, uh, sign up for, I don't know, newsletter for, for the podcast and anybody who's listening can enjoy these episodes, you know, share it around, like it, rate it. It helps to bring people and to speak about interesting topics such as today. So thank you very much. Thanks for hearing me. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. And before you leave, it would be awesome if you could leave rating and a review on the platform or an application that you use for listening. It will help me greatly to bring new guests and discuss topics you are interested in. By the way, check the show notes for important links, maybe that we discussed during the episode and all the other, and subscribe to Health, Energy and Performance Newsletter, where I share at least one tip about nutrition, training and mindset that will help you reach your health and fitness goals easily. I would also like to invite you to have a strategy call with me. During this 30 minutes call, we will first dive into your goals. I will get to know you, you, your lifestyle, and you will get a clear direction and know exactly what to do next to progress your training and maybe improve your eating habits. I started this as a personal challenge for my 30th birthday. And I fell in love with it. I really loved connecting with people and helping them solve their issues and problems during these strategic calls. So naturally, I continue doing so. Mind you, this is not a sales call, but you must be ready to invest your energy and time to get the benefit. So check the show notes, sign up for the call, and I will be looking forward to hear from you.